This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, September 11th, 2022. Put it into practice. Live in Christ, our ultimate example. Good morning, Connection Community Church here and online. So glad that you're here. I'm Stephanie Griffin, and I and my husband, we have been here at Connection for about 14 years. My husband, Gary, uh, who is a part of lead team and helps with uh, leading small groups. And uh, you probably have seen me here as a worship leader uh, in music. But more importantly, I was lost and now I've been found. And the thing that happened in between was Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you. Jesus, you're so precious. Holy Spirit, I need you. Will you flow through me and this word and provide for each heart sitting here or listening online the unique message that you have for each one as you do your work and your will in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Put it into practice, the book of Philippians. Bonnie Steven did an excellent job last week giving us the historical context. Let's give her a hand. Absolutely. It was great. And it works really well together with today's message. She gave us the historical context of the book of Philippians, a book in the Bible of the New Testament, and one of the Apostle Paul's prison letters. This one written to the believers at the Church of Philippi. To recap some of the highlights of chapter 1 and the foundation that Bonnie laid last week, she pointed out that Paul understood that his current imprisonment could be a challenge to the Philippians' church's expectations and their faith. Throughout the whole letter, Paul encourages the church to seek the deep joy of God that goes beyond one's circumstances. We remember from Bonnie's message last week that God is good, even when life is not. And we've been challenged this past week to reflect, in light of the great love of God and Jesus' enormous sacrifice for us, are we conducting our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? This week, we take a look at Philippians chapter 2, Live in Christ, our ultimate example. Chapter 2 continues in the pattern of a fatherly letter of care and concern from the Apostle Paul to the church he planted in Philippi in the area of Macedonia. Today, we're going to specifically look at Paul's encouragement to this young church and ultimately to the church at large today as we identify three matters in Philippians 2 that Paul emphasizes. Number one, provision for godly living. Two, instruction for humility and unity in the church. And three, consideration of Christ, our ultimate example. One, provision. We're going to see that walking in a manner worthy of the gospel is possible through God's resources to the believer. Two, instruction. We're going to take a look at some practical aspects of the outworking of our faith in humility towards unity and what that might look like. 
And then three, consideration. We will then consider Christ himself, including the well-known passage in Philippians 2 that some biblical scholars have referred to as a poem or hymn of exaltation that Paul used to describe Jesus. Focusing on these three areas, I pray that the Holy Spirit will give us insight on how we will put it into practice. Reading from Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, and I'm going to take a little time out right here. Whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's it there for? Okay, the start of chapter 2 follows on the heels of chapter 1 and the points that Bonnie made last week. In other words, in light of advancing God's purposes in challenging circumstances and living a life worthy of the gospel, that's where Paul is continuing here. And as we read this scripture together, let's pay attention to the words indicating connection. Okay? Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul describes what it is to be connected to God's lifeline, life in Christ through the spirit. Paul is asking the Philippians to think back on their shared experiences thus far. Have they known encouragement from being united with Christ? Have they found comfort in his love? Have they experienced a common sharing in the spirit? He knows they have. And he's appealing to a sense of unity of being like-minded and one in spirit. That which is available to them by the spirit. See, godly living is not just an ideal for Paul, but it's possible it's possible for the believer because, number one, provision is found in Christ, united with Christ and sharing in the Holy Spirit. We see in 2 Peter verse 3 in chapter 1, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for godly life. We have received all of this. How? By coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. If we don't get this first aspect, that divine provision for godly living, living a life worthy of the gospel, is possible. Rooted and grounded in Christ, in knowing him. If we don't understand this, then what follows in Paul's letter the instruction will be just a mere list of do's and don'ts. Things that we try to follow intellectually without the means of power to carry them out. Back then for, for Paul, life was fully dependent on the Spirit. Can we say that? The Spirit, depending on the Spirit, was how Paul got to Philippi in the first place in Macedonia. Take a look. 
Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed towards the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to a seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Do you see how God directed Paul and his companions by means of the Holy Spirit? He was led to Macedonia because of a vision, and the Philippian church was born thereafter when they received the good news of Jesus and placed their faith in him. Now I ask you, has anything like this ever happened to you? Has the Holy Spirit ever warned you not to go somewhere or not to do something? It may not have been an audible voice or a vision. Maybe it was. But perhaps a sensing or a knowing by the Spirit. Or perhaps in the past, the Holy Spirit has led you to help someone or has drawn you to pray for someone. This is life being led by the Spirit. Are we expecting to hear him for direction? Are we listening for him? When I consider the New Testament church beginnings, I sometimes wonder, is a reliance on the Spirit for the Christian life more challenging all these years later? Down through the ages in church history, there have been genuine pockets of revival, great church awakenings, moves of the Spirit. There's also been theological debates and religious institutions moving in different directions. The call for unity in the Spirit and being of one accord is something we are still pursuing today. Sadly, some denominations believe the gifts of the Spirit are no longer even in operation and have ceased. The body of Christ at large is divided on this issue and that issue. And meanwhile, God, the same God of the Bible, of the early church, is looking for those whose hearts are yielded for him, who will seek him and be led by his spirit. Has the well-intended postmodern church made it too complicated? Looking a little further down in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, we read, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. First, let me point out in this scripture, Paul is not saying that we are each working for our salvation. 
We know in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. This not of ourselves. We cannot earn salvation. It is a free gift as we embrace the finished work of Christ. However, in this passage of Scripture, the Greek words in the original language of the New Testament, the Greek words for work out your salvation, the words for work out and for your, in Greek, are in the plural. So Paul is indicating to the Philippians a working out among themselves, letting God's work develop among them and grow and mature among them in reverence. And Paul is not telling the Philippians to manufacture this on their own. Come on, people, make it happen. No, the next phrase clarifies it. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Again, there's the provision. God is going to give us what we need, both to will and to work to fulfill his purpose. Whew, what a relief. He will provide. His spirit is leading us and flowing through us. Our job is to stay connected to him, the provider. When we truly understand that this connection, this communion to God is the key, then Paul's instructions, point number two, that follow, seems plausible. Paul gives us some very practical instruction to the church. Philippians 2, verse 3 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And in verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Demonstrating humility and promoting unity, it's not easy. But we already learned that what makes it possible is available to us as believers. The life of Christ in the power of the Spirit of God. Now, what practical encouragement Paul gives. In humility, value others above yourself, not seeking your own interests. In other words, honor one another above yourselves. Honor is how love acts and behaves. Honor is how love acts and behaves. No grumbling or arguing? We've all heard the famous expression, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Well, that's a great start. But the problem is, even if we can hold our tongue, the thought itself can be poisonous internally if we don't allow God to renew our minds. Have you ever heard of a root of bitterness or a root 
of unforgiveness, these roots can grow deep and have a clutch hold in our hearts, allowing God to do his work on an ongoing and continual basis in us. That's what we call here renewing our minds. It's what we call here change and transformation. And God is really good at it. How does this play out in our everyday lives? It's the journey from being self-centered to God-centered, which then becomes others-centered because that's what's important to God. People will know God because of how we love and how we give honor. People will know God because of how we love and we give honor. What would it look like if a husband valued his wife above himself? For a wife, what if her husband's interests were top priority above her own? What would that look like? Maybe tending to someone else's interest is thinking more about who can I encourage today rather than who is or isn't calling me. Maybe it's pausing to think about someone you're in conflict with and consider what's it like to be in that person's shoes? How does God see him or her? Perhaps it's understanding things like, I don't need to rush to be first in line. Or thinking, I'm going to let someone else have the best seat. What does humility and honoring others look like behind the wheel of a car? Yikes. Who needs a hand? We would need to look up from our cell phones and our laptops in order to see. The poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. Are we looking? Are we listening? Do we notice the single parent who is exhausted and ready to break? Do we see the senior who can no longer drive a car the way he used to? Or the widow who lost her husband and struggles for a reason to get up in the morning. So often we cannot see past our own issues to realize there's a world of hurting people out there. Apostle Paul, beaten and imprisoned for his faith, had every reason to think of himself and his own hardships in jail. And yet he found joy and purpose in focusing on God's plans and a heart of concern for others. For me, this move from self-centered to God-centered to others-centered has lots of opportunities to play out in my marriage. I have learned that quality time is important to my husband, Gary. When I am putting his interests before mine, well, that can look like me going out with him to play disc golf 
I don't really like disc golf. But the man is passionate about it. As a matter of fact, if you'd like to join the disc golf small group, you can sign up for that after church today in the lobby. But if I could always choose to only do the things I like, and he could always choose to do the things that he liked, and then we would never spend any quality time together. But when I ride in the car with him to the course, or walk nine or 18 holes alongside of him, or sit next to him while he's watching disc golf on TV, and be interested, and ask him questions, it's a way that I can honor him and ultimately honor God as I value him. Last week, when it was important for me to sit in a nursing home overnight with a dying hospice patient who had no family present, Gary honored me by not grumbling or complaining. He unselfishly supported my work as a chaplain and didn't say, what about me? even though I know my job and my schoolwork constantly challenges our quality time. We have found that mutual consideration for one another is a great recipe for unity of heart in our marriage. Mutual consideration is a great recipe for any relationship. Maybe you are someone who thinks of others and practices hospitality and generosity Great. Seek God to continue that work. May we be careful not to cross over into dangerous thinking when we grow weary of doing good. Thoughts like, why do I always have to be the one to? Or thought like, I shouldn't have to fill in the blank. Can you imagine if the Lord would have taken that attitude towards us? May we remember in our interactions with each other the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 5 about love. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Remember, possible through God. Take that mental list, slowly tear it up in Jesus' name. Isn't that freeing? Giving honor and value to others is how love acts and behaves. Now, to be clear, I am not talking about being a doormat or remaining in an abusive circumstance where someone's life or well-being is endangered. Those situations need specific wisdom and counsel. And in these cases, talk to your pastors and or seek professional help. I'm speaking of our own refusal to see past ourselves. At the seminary where I'm currently studying, we have a little catchphrase that's been going around regarding walking in humility. Go lower. It's a mindset of valuing another person above oneself and putting them up higher in importance, higher in priority. 
go lower. I have to go lower and see God and others higher. Now, for some of us, our mind space, in other words, what takes up residence in our mind, is full of the word my. As soon as we wake up in the morning, my day, my job, my schedule, my family, my schoolwork, my health, my rights, my identity, it's my life and how I want to live it. May God deliver us from being selfish and self-consuming. Our plague of selfishness is heightened by our Western individualistic society and the me culture that it promotes. The Bible was actually written in the midst of collectivist culture, where people were more connected to one another to begin with and prioritized their relationships to one another. There's so much to learn from that mindset. Coming to faith in Christ doesn't automatically take care of selfishness. We must allow God to renew our minds. Bonnie talked about that last week. In working on this message, I was lovingly reminded by the Holy Spirit how I sometimes replace selfish thoughts with thoughts that seem more Christian, more Christ-centered. But if I'm not careful, a new set of words begin to dominate my mind space. My church, my walk, my ministry, my prayers, my devotions, my gifts, my calling, help me, fill me, bless me, 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 me. Look, I'm not trying to boycott the word me or my. I just want us to think about the amount of space that it takes up. The amount of space it occupies in our minds. There are some good uses of me and my in the scripture, but let us also remember how the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. There's no me or my in the Lord's prayer. There's no I in the Lord's prayer. We can read it ourselves in Matthew 6 through 19. Just taking a look at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer to see my point, Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, not some fairy tale kingdom in a faraway land, but the kingdom reign of God in our hearts and lives come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus uses my in scripture, he was praying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't talk about his rights, but the Father's plan. And this brings us to the third item, the third point in the attention for Paul, consideration. Consider Christ. Just look at him. He's the ultimate example. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In the proud Greco-Roman world, humility was not something that was sought after. It was something attributed to lowly slaves and servants. But Jesus teaches no servant is above his master, and then he shows us how it's done. He goes low. He takes a towel, and he goes low to wash the feet of his disciples like a servant. This one goes low. This one, who Hebrews 1.3 says, expresses the radiance of the glory of God and is the exact representation of his being. This one, who Colossians 1.15 says, is the visible image of the invisible God who existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. This one, who in John chapter 1, we know as the word of God and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This one, this one did the unthinkable. This one did the unimaginable for you and for me. He emptied himself and was obedient to the Father's plan to be born as a human, fully human, and fully in his nature God. Jesus set aside the rights of deity, choosing obedience to the Father. And in humility, he valued you and he valued me above himself to the point of going low and laying his own life down. And not just any death, death on a cross, a gruesome death, with the ultimate expression of love in his final moments as a sinless, perfect life, crying out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is what love looks like. That's how Jesus honored you and how he honored me. This is the mindset, the attitude that Paul indicates we are supposed to have toward one another. Christ is our ultimate example. If the church loved like this, wouldn't the world look quite different? Wouldn't the world know that there is a living and loving God? Paul tells us it's possible. The provision is made possible through the Spirit. The instruction is certain. Abandon selfishness, pursuing unity in the Spirit. And the example is clear. Consider Christ and follow the mindset of our Savior. Hallelujah.
After the greatest demonstration of humility, of him going low, God the Father rewarded Jesus as is his due. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He's giving us the opportunity to follow him now. It would be the best decision of your life for some, following Jesus is coming to Christ for the first time. For others, it may be an issue of surrender, being willing to say, I'm going to let your spirit lead me, not my own agenda. And for others, it's a wholehearted following, a time to turn from all distractions, no places of the heart left untouched by his Holy Spirit, to be consumed in love by him and for him in the most intimate of love relationships. We're going to do something a little different as we close the service, as the musicians come. We're going to we're going to end the service by listening and reflecting on the words of a song, a song that invites you to the feet of Jesus, a song that invites you to go low, to worship at his feet. You can stay seated in your chair. You can come up here if you'd like to bow in reverence for the Lord. but I pray that you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you what he wants as we go low. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the message from Connection Community Church. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, you can visit us on our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Thanks again for listening. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the new life he offers.